1: Welcome back, dear listener. This is episode 158 of the Iron Fist Velvet Glove podcast. It's the 31st of July, a special episode for you, dear listener. Not the normal panel, but I'm pleased to announce the return of right-wing Tony to the podcast. It's been a while, right-wing Tony, but welcome aboard again.
2: Thanks, Mr Fist. (laughs) I was going to ask if you've been well, but you've had issues.
3: I've had a few challenges, health challenges, (laughs) I'm dealing with them manfully and with the assistance of hallucinogens. We'll, we'll get on to that in a moment. But, um,
2: dear listener, if you're listening to this podcast for the first time, uh, it's an Australian
1: podcast. We look at news, politics, culture, ethics and the transformations taking place in our society. We might well be cataloguing the demise of civilization, but we try to have fun while doing so. And I'm particularly obsessed with religion and it will probably come in for some criticism, although maybe not so much in this episode more economics and other things, but uh, we often get onto that. So if that sounds like your cup of tea, sit back and relax while we review the news of the last seven days. Right-wing Tony, um, the by-election results are in, and it was a super Saturday for the Labor Party.
3: Yes, it was, yeah. I can't believe it myself, but there you go. Um, obviously driven by demographics, I think, in, the, in some of the seats. Um, And that's understandable. I haven't done any research yet to see sort of uh, indicators of welfare dependency and things like that, but I would expect that um, those are factors that played some considerable point to the outcome here. Um, And you can understand that the politics that... uh, Commissar Shorten promotes of division and bleating about fairness and equality. Oh, he, he wasn't. Has, he, has yeah.
2: He wasn't bleating. He wasn't bleating, Tony. He, he was. He was quite joyful. Let me just play you a little bit here. What a great night for the Labor
3: Party! I was talking about the run-up to the poll, and oh, certainly great there. Night for I know you were, but I just yeah. had to get this with in. No, that's fine. Look, and I know you're enjoying it, but I suppose <laughs> super, yeah, yeah, S-O-U-P-E-R, and um, certainly for Longman, I think um, they voted wanting lamb, but they'll end up with mutton, in my opinion. So, God, uh, God bless them. <laughs> oh, that's <laughs> good. Oh, that's good.
2: Do you
1: think perhaps the corporate tax uh, deductions, or you know, the reduction of the
3: corporate tax, is an issue? Oh, clearly it is, but it's one of those things that's not being explained. I think properly, um, the private sector employ most people in this country, and if you have a vibrant and expansive private sector, then that is in the interests of the wider community. And I know in my own experience, when I joined the firm that I finished my career in, um, it took us something like 30 years, but we grew from 11 people to over 350. And that's all to do with chancing your hand, taking commercial risks. But the upshot of all of that is that you you can provide employment to young people who are leaving university or school had we been happy with the socialist edict, which is really not about ambition or self promotion or anything, it's all to do with basically welfare dependency, then we would have stayed as a firm of 11 people and offered no real growth to any of those others who've so gone on to really good careers. So, this is
1: basically people just didn't buy the trickle down argument anymore.
3: Yeah, well, it's described as trickle-down, but the reality is if you have a vibrant private sector, they employ people. It's not rocket science.
1: Well, the thing is, though, when similar tax cuts have happened in other countries, there's been no um, benefit to uh, employment or business. So they've looked at examples in the UK where there were uh, massive tax uh, cuts for big business, and there was no boost to business. And even in here in our current circumstance, for example, with the bank, the National Australia Bank, they said we're going to sack eight thousand people. The government said we're offering a five percent uh, tax break here, and they said doesn't matter. We're sacking eight thousand people, but the tax rate had no um, effect on their decisions to employ people.
3: That's probably correct in so far as the NAB is concerned, like. I have no idea what's going on in England, but they've suffered for decades with Labor governments. They've had the odd Tory government. Mm. But, um, it, it wouldn't I have been a Labor know.
2: government that put in the tax
1: deductions. I have so, no
3: idea who mm. put it in. Blair was maligned by a lot of Labor people. He introduced New Labor or some sort of Labor light, so I don't know who introduced the tax cuts there. I can only speak about my own experience and tell you that if you make economics attractive to the private sector then they will employ people now the big banks and the big corporations they're obviously moving in a different direction because of all the automation and the the off-siting of employees that provide services but i don't i don't actually see that as the driver for me given my political outlook the driver for me is to support business at every level, and hope that as a consequence, even if the banks are losing staff, if they can have a better business model, then they can lend more money more efficiently, perhaps, and that can encourage other other parts of the private sector. I, I just don't buy the story at all, because I know of my own experience, and I know that of peers of mine, I've seen a lot of growth over the career I had, not just on my side of the table as an employer or a member of a group of employers, but also seeing with clients how they've grown, they tend to put it all back on Red 27. They don't take it home and stuff it under the mattress.
1: If the tax rate was 30% or Mm. 25%, they still Mm. have done the same thing.
3: Well, you say that. I'm not sure that Mm. that that's the case. I I think um, if you encourage people to be aspirational, then more often than not, that's what you get. We, we have a choice. I think we're at the crossroads with all this talk about inequality and unfairness and things of that nature. And we either want to be aspirational for our children and grandchildren and, and want them to have better lives, or we sign on to the socialist mandate, which is, we'll look after you, don't worry, we'll tax everybody that's got a pulse, and we'll make sure we give you some money. And I don't want that for my children or grandchildren. I, I want them yeah. to strive. I want them yeah. to work how hard about, and achieve.
1: How about this argument? Mm. Do, you, do you want your children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren mm. to have a US-style economy, or would you like them to have a Scandinavian Northern European style. Well, I certainly
3: people. don't want a Scandinavian anything because they're overwhelmed by Muslims. So, no, I'm not interested ignoring in there in the Scandinavia. Ignoring,
2: no. We're talking <laughs> economics, Tony. Well, it's it, the it, economics that it, have done it, them it, in there no, because they've it's, opened the gates. It's a lack of moral <laughs> fibre and conviction of no. their own ideology that's done them in. No, so, no. Ignoring ignoring the immigration issue because that's just yeah. a little red herring you've thrown no, in there. No, I but, don't think but, it is. But in terms of of... Of a society
1: where it's dog eat dog, man for man, you know, everyone out for themselves, uh, virtually no sort of government institutions and, you know, a low tax rate where you've got high inequality, but you've also got people working for $7.50 an hour at McDonald's and haven't had two jobs versus you know a scandinavian model where people are paying 50 tax for example yeah, well, I, so, I don't know what you've been so, smoking
3: mr first but none of what you've just enunciated there is the reality in this country no, but this is what it i'm saying isn't. is which direction do you want which one do you want your grandchildren to have i want if, us to continue is, in the manner that we have been in having but, a fair based society but, but, that rewards aspiration but if we cut and
1: cut and cut taxes all the time. Aren't we going yeah. to head in the direction of the US No, style? no,
3: because Is I that... believe that we will create employment. Right. You see, we've got probably the fastest but, growing public service in but, Queensland but, and they do nothing. They create n- no product. They're totally unproductive.
1: In terms of employment, are you at all concerned about um, a future where, for example, uh, trucks or vehicles are, are self-driving so a lot of Yeah, yeah but that's evaporates. got nothing to
3: do with the tax rate. Well, I'm just that's talking automation. about the future. Yes.
1: So businesses will be inclined to use robots or technology in place of humans if it's more efficient. And it's increasingly looking like that's going to be the case for more and more jobs yeah, down the Yeah, and track. that
3: would be the case irrespective of and the tax rate. Co- but cor- if we can correct. grow but, but the private it, sector, then there will be some jobs for people well, that have been replaced but, by automated trucks.
1: So but the thing is... Do you fear a situation where there just won't be jobs for those people, that there actually just won't be a job?
3: Well, that's That's possible. I don't know, because I really don't know the answer to that, but... I think if we don't have a strong private sector, then that's more likely to be the case than less likely.
1: But, but no, perhaps a strong private sector is more likely to invest in technology and robots and get rid of jobs
3: if, no, they, if they've you, got
2: the money to buy
1: them. So it doesn't uh, necessarily... No, it does happen.
3: follow for me, because right. you're coming at it from just a, a sort of a, a socialist polemical end. No, no, you're no. looking at big business. You forget about small business. Small business won't be into the automation like big business is. Big business has always been at the cutting edge of those things. Small business, when you drive around this country and you go through industrial estates, I'm always astonished by the number of small businesses that are operating, and they're the ones that I think will provide employment as we move into this yeah, frightening future of automation and artificial intelligence or technical intelligence, whatever you want to call it, and if we don't encourage small business, then the future you portend is well and truly there. There'll only be the big businesses. The small businesses will have been withered off and taxed to death and there will be no employment, no, other than under Comrade Palaszczuk's state government, which will probably have the largest public service in the southern hemisphere it's by then, a,
1: it's actually a big business that's the driver of, of new employment. Small small businesses. No, I don't it. agree
2: with
3: that. Well, well, well that's well, my experience. I'll you find see, the I'm, figures I'm, for I'm basing. You. But, 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 yeah, but but you could find figures for anything. I'm basing this on <laughs> a real experience. Like yeah, but, these figures one you can
2: means, make them say whatever you want. But one means experience. Well, Compared to a statistic of the whole country, I mean, obviously yeah. the latter is more valuable, well, with all you, due
3: respect. To you. To you. I just know, from my experience with working with clients over 30 years, mm. that they were all aspirational by and large. None of them sought a life on welfare, and they were happy to employ people, and it wasn't on slave yes. wage rates. Yes. So we agree to disagree, I think. Mr Fist. Yeah, well you, but
1: so you are, you are worried that there's a risk there will be no jobs for people down the track?
3: There's going to be changes. That's crystal clear. Um, I think Rio Tinto already has driverless trucks and driverless trains that they're trialling. So clearly there's going to be a dislocation and we need to have a flexible, vigorous economy to be able to deal with that because if we destroy sections of the economy and make it so unattractive for them to be in business or to employ people, then clearly they won't employ people and they won't be in business. They'll pack up their box and go somewhere else where the offer is better for them and they won't be here. And I just think that the problem is that you're focused on a particular point of the whole business structure. And, yeah, it is hard to justify why a bank who's sacking thousands of people ought to get a tax cut. But the way I look at it is, well, as long as the bank's in business and viable, then the bank can lend money at sensible rates and on appropriate terms and conditions to people who can employ people. Labor doesn't offer They can do that whether the
1: tax rate's 30% or 25%. Like, a bank isn't going to say, oh, gee, the tax rate's... 5% 5% better, now we can do all these things that we couldn't well, do before. Well, that's the whole
3: point of money lending. They put but, it out there. But, but, There's no point the having tax, a whole this heap this of this money the, and not lending it. this is the tax it.
1: rate we're talking about. The actual tax yeah. that the bank pays, Correct. if you give them a 5% And if they pay less tax,
3: they have more but, money to lend.
2: But, no, if you, if you give them... If they
1: pay less tax, it mm. means just more of a dividend that they pay to their shareholders. Either
3: a dividend yes. or they put it back into the market. It it, it it will either go in one direction or the other. It'll either go, and if it goes as a dividend, yeah, then the shareholders, many of whom are small business operators, yes. can use the enhanced dividend to employ more people. What
1: if What if I said to you that um, a lot of this money was just going overseas to non australians Well,
3: clearly there would be shareholders that are based overseas and those funds would flow out. But if we have a vigorous economy here, those funds could very well flow back in again. What if we're just
1: giving money away to American investors?
3: Well, I don't know that that's necessarily the case because I think if you do look at the statistics that you are so fond of, Mm -hmm. you'd probably find that the Americans are the biggest investors in the Commonwealth of Australia. In a number of respects, in, yeah, terms, in terms of, of property base. and mm-hmm. businesses and the stock market, etc. Ch- Chinese are way ahead in property. No, no, not not no. The US, I think, is the largest investor in the core wealth of Australia. Uh, in terms of real property, I think so. Yeah, they have value been for
2: decades. Value. We're not talking pastoral land out. we're talking.
3: Yeah, I think it's across the board. But, like, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I've certainly seen stats to that effect in the past. Mm. China, without a doubt, is a comer, but Mm. there's no problem if we have a free market enterprise system Mm. here in China investing here, Mm. or Chinese people. Mm. That's probably an insurance policy for us Mm. against a huge Muslim neighbour that doesn't like us. The more Chinese investment, that may be an insurance policy.
1: So I saw a figure that said, by giving you this tax break... We're virtually giving $11 billion a year to the US government. Look, you may be right, but what I would say
3: to you is that some of the largest investors here are from the US. And I know when I was in practice that there were assets of clients of mine that the Canadian Pension Fund were very interested in trying to secure. And these were in the hundreds of millions of dollars. So money flows. It's a global world. It's going to flow out, but... Unless there's something putrid about the economy here... OK, let me give you an the example. ..then the money will flow
1: back in. So the US tax rate is 40% on companies. Mm. And we here are charging them 30%. Then the US government says, what's that money you earned in Australia? And the company says, oh, we've paid 30% tax on that. And the US government says, great, you owe us another 10 So then the following year, when the uh, US government says to the company... You know what's that money you went over in Australia? I say, yeah, we, we paid 25% tax on that. The U.S. government says, great, we're going to charge you 15%, so they actually charge the difference. So the money doesn't actually benefit the American investor. It just means instead of paying the U.S. Uh, the Australian government, they pay the American government. So we effectively just transfer 11 billion dollars to the U.S. Treasury. And the companies have not a single extra dollar in their pocket.
3: Well, if that's the case, why are they investing here at all? Because they make money. So
2: well, Apple Well They'll continue to ex- invest Exactly. Yeah. So you don't need a tax deduction for them. Well, my a view is
3: d- you do. Because we are travelling into a world, you just were waxing lyrical before about automation and the fact that thousands are going to have no jobs. Well, the reality is we do need investment here. We do need a vibrant private sector because they are the only people that are going to employ people. Governments employ people, but there's no productivity attached to that. Public servants don't produce anything. They don't produce a thing.
2: (laughs) Well, our taxes produce things. And you need to manage the taxes to produce things. Yeah, I mean, we have yeah. bridges and roads and yeah, schools and hospitals. You just enjoyed them. The, no, the no, facilities no, The are, more are people are who are
3: employed, the greater the tax base. The tax base will shrink if everyone's on welfare. Uh, well, it, there it, will it, be no taxes because
1: tax, no one's working. The, and that's what the tax... Base is going to shrink because less
2: people are going to be working. Because no, I don't agree with that. There just if... won't be no. the jobs. Well, we
3: agree. Look, we agree. I will You're never not... convince you, and you will never convince me because the commissars have got control of your brain <laughs> and they've convinced you that this bold socialist world is the way of the future. And it is only for people who have no ambition and no desire to achieve much. And they would be more than happy to sit and receive cheques from the government. It's happy. I often go into shopping centres and I say, busy today? No, no, it's not dull day. Tomorrow, (laughs) we're going to be shooting the lights out.
2: (laughs) See, the good thing about giving money to poor people is they spend it. So, you know... At the shops. Yes, but so you know, you, you know when we had a financial crisis, Kevin, had, Kevin Rudd I'll was just, just giving money away, away, hoping people would sell it. Do you know what Margaret Thatcher said, said? there's Thatcher no said? such thing as society. No, you know what Margaret Thatcher said, said about socialism? No, she said, there's no such thing as society. No, she
3: said, the only problem with socialism is, eventually you run out of other people's <laughs> money. And she's right on the money with that <laughs> comment. <laughs> I don't think we Tony, can pursue there, this much further. No, Tony, there was a risk this podcast. was becoming very
2: left-leaning. And you're steering it beautifully back In a (laughs) right-wing direction. (laughs) Uh, It's good, Tony. Okay, um, next topic.
1: Lauren Southern um, is, well, sort of a right-wing activist from the United States. And she um, came to Australia and decided to, to look around and... Well, stir up trouble. She's a bit of a Milo Yiannopoulos sort of character, really. I think. You could yeah, say. she's young,
3: attractive, and articulate. That's the problem. Yeah.
1: So she's got a thing against Islam, and we both do. So we're all in agreement so far. <laughs> and uh, she went to Lakemba, and dear listener, I'm going to play a little bit of a clip of what happened.
4: As we went to go for a walk to the local mosque a very high-ranked police officer came up to me and begged with me, do not go there. Salvanism? The, uh... Speaking. Speaking. Inspector Rick Ages from Kempsey Police. Yep. I've been informed that you're intending to attend the Lekimba Mosque, is that correct? I actually have no intentions of attending. I was just planning on walking through the streets and seeing how the culture was here. Yes? Yep. Are you satisfied with that? Yep. So where do you intend on walking to now? I was just going to walk out and check how the mosque was. Check where the mosque it was? Yep. Yeah. Would I not be allowed to attend if well, I wanted to? I've got grave concerns that you may cause an imminent breach Obviously. of the peace down there, so I'm asking you not to attend. Why would I cause a breach of the peace? Because it's highly religious down there. Oh, uh, new
0: job there. And, and would it be account me account causing a breach
1: break break of the peace, or, replace replace or, replace replace replace
4: or would it be the people there? there? Well, your, atten- your presence uh, so may the cause to the them to be offensive and you know, be objective to your attending there. And so that would be them being offended by me? Can you turn, not interview me? The local community walk around here without any fear. I walk around here without any right, fear. Right, but I'm a critic of Islam. Yes. So I can't be in this multi because my culture is allowed to have free speech and criticizes Islam. Okay, I understand Islam. You, have your, you have your own beliefs and, and you're allowed to have your own beliefs. I have no issue with that. I'm asking you not to attend down there because I have a fear that you may cause an imminent breach of the peace. In doing so, you may commit an offense. Am I allowed to walk through the area? I'm asking... No. I'm asking you not to go down the Haldon Street. Down You're asking wanting. me, but do I have the legal right to walk down this area? At this point of time,
1: no. Right-wing Tony. Somebody visiting is not allowed to walk down the street because...
3: I'm just flabbergasted. I didn't even know about any of that, notwithstanding my right-wing proclivities. But um, what that tells me... Is that the policeman had formed an opinion about an Islamic tendency to violence? He recognised that he was a senior New South Wales police officer, um, based, the,
1: based in Campsie, which is a sort of a neighbouring suburb.
3: Of yeah, the right yeah. Uh, she, if you if you look at the relevant legislation, the there's no real definition of what is a breach of the peace. I. Managed to look on the net and saw only one sort of decision which dealt with words of that type, and it it they referred to the fact that it ordinarily means disorderly conduct, example fighting or excessive noise, etc. And there was a a judge in the ACT, Connor, in a case called Forbutt and Blake, where he said a mere statement by a police constable that he anticipated a breach of the peace is not enough to justify his taking action to prevent it. The facts must be such that he could reasonably anticipate not a remote, but a real possibility of a breach of the peace. Now, what we have here is not a breach of the peace by this lady, Lauren Southern. What he anticipated was a breach of the peace by a group of Islamic followers. And this fits neatly with a book that I read by an Islamic scholar, a fellow called Shadi Hamid, who works at the Brookings Institute in the US, and he wrote a book about Islamic exceptionalism. And basically, what he was talking about was the vexing problem of religion's role in public life. And when he chose the title Islamic exceptionalism, it was with a great degree of care. And what the message he was trying to give... To the West, from the point of view of an Islamic scholar, was that Islam expects to be treated exceptionally. They don't expect to be subject to the same rules and constraints, obligations, rights, duties, responsibilities that ordinary citizens of Australia expect to adhere to. They expect to be treated exceptionally. And in this instance, this senior officer of the New South Wales Police Force has treated them exceptionally. He's formed an opinion that she wasn't going to breach the peace. He's put it to her that she was. But really what he was saying to her was that there would be Islamists who would take such offence to her merely walking down a street with a cameraman that they would resort to violence. Now, you really have to question what is going on in this country Because you have the left, the progressive left that you are so fond of, Trevor. No, 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 I'm not fond of the progressive (laughs) left. That that would, would bleat about apartheid and things of that nature. But clearly this is apartheid because they're trying to keep people apart. And they're saying, no, you don't have a right to be in this area because the sensitivities are so sharpened down this street that your mere presence, forget about saying anything to them or looking at them askance, your mere presence is enough to drive them to a frenzy. And that seems to be the universal experience with them. It's been like that for centuries. I finished a book recently about Churchill's first war and he served with um, the royal hussars in Afghanistan in the 1890s and he basically said they were as mad as cut snakes and you could never reach an agreement with any of them because they'd welch on it straight away and nothing has changed. Like you go through the Christian tradition, there were excesses, there were shocking things that were done in the past and but Christianity's moved on but these fellows are rooted in medieval times and now we have in New South Wales the police force recognising that and with a view to not offending their delicate sensibilities, imposing some sort of apartheid regime. The only good thing that I think comes out of this for me is that if I was living in Melbourne and I was under siege by a whole heap of this Sudanese is... boys, I, see. I would ring the police and say that I have a pop-up mosque in my street, and that there are a number of people laying siege, or I think they (laughs) may lay siege to the pop-up mosque, and I guarantee you that the Victorian police would attend in large numbers and with senior officers. (laughs)
2: Tony? Yes? I probably agree with everything you say. (laughs) I don't well, know about the mos- mosque bit, but, but, yeah. but, but Lord, you know, Lord, this is outrageous yeah. that somebody cannot walk down I agree. the street if he was disgraceful. Not going to be committing an offence. Mm. But it's no
3: different to what we have here now in some mm. places where swimming pools are shut at certain times. Public pools, mm. public mm. with a capital P, are mm. shut because um, there's some fancy dancers in there swimming and they're not allowed to be seen. Is that happening in Australia? Is it? As far as I know, it's in Toowoomba already.
2: Uh, actually, I
1: mm. think I did
3: hear that. Mm. I think I might
2: have heard it on this podcast. You
1: probably heard yes, it on this I podcast. think I told
3: you that last time we spoke. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So uh, that is an issue. And it's interesting that uh, it's part of the American psyche that they can just come over here and, and they're fearless in some of these things. Some of their agitators like Lawrence Southern and...
3: Milo and yeah, but and they're others. no different to Get Up or yes. the people that are anti-Adani or any of the other things. Like, we seem to excuse their misbehaviour and their breaches of the peace. Like, I mean, if you look at a Get Up crowd or an anti-Adani group, well, if you were looking for a breach of the peace, it's well and truly there, trust me. <laughs> but nothing happens to them. But the moment these hot gospelers are likely to be impinged upon, it's all on for young and old. Mm-hmm. And the police are there, senior police, not just constables in this instance. No. And you can see how he was struggling with trying to work out how he was going to say while he was being filmed mm. what her offence was, because she'd committed no offence. Mm. There was going to be an offence committed, but it wasn't going to be by her. Yeah. And yeah. so he was heading that off, that's all.
1: To make his day easy, he was to her was Oh, yeah, he just didn't off. want
3: the bad publicity, because yeah. as a senior police officer, obviously well, he's political masters, mm would have jumped all over him for permitting this to occur.
1: Mm-hmm. Anyway, we're in agreement
2: on agreement on a topic. That's good, Tony. Okay. We're one out of one so
3: far. Yeah. One, out of, <laughs> one out of two,
1: sorry. One out of two. <laughs> I found another interesting one, which was a High Court test case on sp- sperm donors. So, in this case, the High Court will be asked to decide whether sperm donors who intend to be involved as fathers and are known to their biological offspring as dads, should be recognised as legal parents. And what this is getting at is that there are laws in place that are basically saying that sperm donors have no rights or liabilities arising from the use of their semen, and that's to encourage men to become sperm donors on the understanding that they won't be getting a tap on the shoulder or a knock on the door in... 15 or 20 years time for hi dad can I have some money or something like that so a really unusual case where this guy was a sperm donor but he wasn't married or in a de facto relationship with the woman at the time of donating his sperm or subsequently but he was very actively involved in um in looking after this child and changed her nappies and soothed her at night time, attended her school and daycare events and did a mean ballet bun. Um, The family court, well, and of course the mother in this case wanted to take the child to New Zealand, so he sort of tried to exercise rights as a father and prevent that from happening. And the family court came out and said, no, despite all of your interactions with this child you don't have the legal rights of a father and she can go to New Zealand and I just found that a really interesting case Tony. Yeah
3: I did too and I had seen some mention of it in the press but until you sort of raised it with me I hadn't really followed it up but he was truly an involved donor. He was actually listed as the father on the birth certificate from what I read he paid maintenance and as you said he was involved in the child's life. Now All of those things, to me, indicate that clearly there was an agreement between the biological parents in relation to his involvement with Mm. the child. And that takes me to the fact that the mother, the biological mother, has determined to breach that agreement by seeking to take the child out of the jurisdiction to the socialist paradise of New Zealand which if I was a father certainly wouldn't want my children going there (laughs) because that would be a futureless place to live. But in any event, um, she's chosen to break the bargain that they had. She was more than happy to have him on the birth certificate. Clearly pinned her ears back when he was paying maintenance and gladly banked the cheques and accepted that he could do a really good ballet bun. But for whatever reasons, she's determined to break that. And... I think we've got we've got three sets of competing rights here. Like we we're focused on the parents, but the child has rights as well. Um, and the birth of the baby was registered as required under the Births, Deaths and Marriages Registration Act in New South Wales. And the purpose of that act is, amongst other things, to give a representation of the family structure at the time the birth was registered, and clearly. From the little we know from the press reports, it would appear that um, that was the family structure. There was a compact between biological parents for him to have an involvement. Um, And the other thing that I... uh, Like, the way it travelled, I think, with the courts was, at first instance, a single judge in the family court said that he he did have rights, but then it got overturned on appeal, um, and the appellate division of the family court said no, so if the High Court grants leave, then the High Court obviously thinks it's a serious issue to look at because I don't think you can just appeal mm. of your own volition. But the other thing to think about is the UNICEF Convention on the Rights of a Child. Um, Article 3 says, in all actions concerning children, courts of law must take into account the best interests of a child, and that is a primary consideration. So I just don't know here whether, in what's been reported, whether the appellate division of the Family Court of Australia has indeed looked at the rights of the child. And Article 7 of that convention, which Australia has signed on to, um, says that a child shall have the right to know and be cared for by his or her parents. Now, clearly, he is a parent. The Biological mother conceded that, and the state of New South Wales records that. So... My view is that there is a family relationship here and it's being sought to be brought undone.
1: It's, just and an it's interesting... a very
3: difficult area because, mm. equally, there may be compelling reasons why the biological mother wants to go to New Zealand. God knows, but you know.
1: Had they just met in a bar and had a one night stand, sure. and he had nothing to do with the child. Yeah. He would have more rights because
2: what he's. What's,
1: Undone well, he'd have more
2: obligations
3: because he'd be hit up for maintenance. Well,
1: what, 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 he's been undone here because uh, of this presumption under the Act that says if you're the sperm donor, then you have no rights and no liabilities in relation yeah, but, to the see, child. Yeah, but see, there's a so conflict that, between so two, so two pieces of legislation. Him, yeah.
3: Yeah, you, you're referring yeah. to the Relationship Register Act, I mm. presume, but there's equally the Births, Deaths and Marriages Registration Act, which, mm. as I indicated has as an object um, to make some sort of assessment as to the, the family relationship or the family structure at time of birth. So I sort of think it's a competition between perhaps two pieces of legislation that are that are inconsistent, and that's at the legal level, but beyond that at a moral level and in terms of what are, the, what are in the best interests of the child... Um, there's other issues to consider there. And the overarching, we seem to be sort of cravenly signing on to international treaties. So in this instance, we should be looking at the UNICEF um, Convention on the Rights of the Child.
1: Just uh, one final point on this one, Tony. At the very end of the article, it says, in Ontario, Canada, another socialist enclave... Yes, it is.
2: Tony. Another paradise. Yep. Up to four
1: people could be named as a child's parent if that was what was intended.
3: Well, again, that clearly reflects some sort of compact between people, and I think that's right. another issue that doesn't seem to have been investigated much here, or if it has, it hasn't been reported on. There, there clearly was an understanding and agreement, a meeting of minds between biological parents as regards this man's involvement, and he's performed that agreement so he should be entitled to enforce that agreement he's 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 signed up as dad he's paid maintenance as dad he's been involved in a caring sense as dad and we have a unilateral breach of that agreement having taken the fruits of it for a number of years or whatever um it's now over and I'm off to the land of the long white cloud we're both sympathetic to his plight i think very much so mm. Um,
1: speaking of dads and daughters, Tony, uh, you don't have any daughters, so this hasn't... No, uh, I wasn't come blessed
3: at, there. It's the office microwave, Trevor, the <laughs>
1: <laughs> But we've got this custom amongst some families where a man who is uh, wanting to propose to a woman will contact the, the future fiancé's father, or the future father-in-law, and request permission to marry his daughter. And I've had a personal feeling about this for a long time, Tony, that um, I think it's silly. And I made it very clear to my daughters that under no circumstances, if they had a boyfriend who was ready to marry them, I did not want him coming to me and asking for my permission for them to get hitched because, you know, my daughters are not my chattels to be given away with. And also,
2: um, you know, if I said no, would they stop? You know, so uh, if you're not being serious in in asking, then then don't ask. And
1: there was an article in the paper about uh, Jordan Carhu, a Broncos player, who I think he's now in his mid to late twenties. Has known his girlfriend since they were teenagers. They've got two kids, and they're living together. And he decided to propose, but before doing so, asked. The future father-in-law for permission and if I was the father-in-law I would have just turned around and said well I think you've already helped yourself mate
2: like, so do you have a view on, yeah, on, on this? Yeah i
3: curiously I've lined up with you on this I don't believe women are chattels or the property of their fathers or their brothers or anyone else for that matter their mothers um, this is a medieval or even prior to that way of thinking that Somehow or other, uh, your children are your property, and in particular uh, that girls are treated in a different way to boys. No one's going to ask f- the father or mother for the permission to marry your son mm. and it it connotes that that women have less rights like i mean this is just silly stuff um, people obviously as parents you you have the subjective criteria that you You'll look at and think about and talk to each other quietly about when your children bring their prospective partners home to meet you, and there's nothing wrong with you exercising consideration of things because there may be things that concern you. Um, In a lot of ethnicities, this is still quite important, Um, that parents are trying to seek harmony for their children and and a peaceful go forward. And so they would like to give some consideration to the people that their children are partnering up with. But at the end of the day, uh, these are rights of an individual. Uh, And if your child chooses to marry someone that you're not entirely happy with, well, that's the breaks. You're just going to have to make the best of it and be supportive if, sadly, as you anticipated, it wasn't going to be a good union.
1: Tony, we've managed to go about
2: 40 minutes without poking fun at religion, and I can now segue over to a, to a poke at religion here because when it comes to the sort of marriage proposal bit and, the, and parents being interested in the, in the future in law...
1: I came across an article, because there was a uh, one of these evangelical Christian nutbags in America, um, made a statement about what Christian men would be seeking in, in Christian women. And the key criteria, this person said, would be, uh, well, that men prefer um, debt-free virgins
2: with no tattoos. It's probably not a bad starting point, Tony. You know, I to <laughs> hand it to him.
3: No, I can't go there with this fellow. Um, <laughs> I just, no, I, I read the questions I thought he needed to be sedated. <laughs> let,
2: let, let me just read a few more bits, Tony. So, yeah, no, I've read them so, so, so go for your life, yeah, oh, yeah. So the dear listener hasn't, both. So, mm. so in this article then, this, this lady actually then refers
1: to how, when she was in the evangelical movement, that, that there was a bit of a checklist going around as a proposed list of questions that a, a father could ask a potential son-in-law. And there's
2: 30 of them here, and I'll just stick with the highlights. We'll, we'll start off with a few of the easy ones. There's, um first one, share your salvation testimony. Well, that's easy.
1: Share the most recent Bible verse you have memorised. Can you
2: recite all 66 books of the Bible in order? Try. Uh, when was the last time you read your Bible? Tell me about your participation in your local church. So so far, so good, Tony. If you're a a red-hot Bible basher, that's all okay. But get down to question nine. If you are a virgin, why? If you are not a virgin, tell me what you have learned. Tell me everything you know about the Protestant Reformation and what is your approach to protect your sexual purity as well as my child's? These would be the awkward questions,
3: Tony. But well, the, you know, clearly, the, the, fella, the this particular group of people um, are strange. There's no doubting that. Mm. But this focus on virginity isn't just with Christians, clearly. Like, I mean, our Islamic friends are very focused on that. And some women actually have to go through reconstructive surgery uh, before they um, marry because it's a keen issue. The only thing I can see having any sense in the list is the fact that they m- want to make an investigation about tattoos because I could think about hepatitis possibility <laughs> possibly entering into the family and it probably mightn't be a bad question to ask. Could you have... Have you got Hep C, A, B or whatever? But beyond that, um, the whole thing's just stupid. Like, we, we, we have to treat women as our equals. They are our equals. In a lot of instances, they're much better performers at life than, than men are, and this is just silly, medieval rubbish. Mm. Tony, new topic. Um, Channel
1: 9 has brought out Fairfax, and your old friend, Commissar... Keating, Paul Keating, Keating. Yes. PJ. Uh, had, had mm. some things to say and I'll just play a little bit of a clip of what what the great man had to say.
0: They'll have the Nine Network, the whole Nine Network across the country. They'll have the Sydney Morning Herald, the AIDS, the Financial Review. They'll have the big radio stations, you know, like um, 2GB in Sydney with Alan Jones mm. uh, and um, uh, uh, Neil Mitchell in Melbourne with 3AW, etc. I'm not saying these particular commentators or journalists are going to be run by the Channel 9 board, but the agglomeration of the power, if you look at the political power, which has been wrapped up and why, but for what reason?
4: But so what do you feel in terms of editorial interference? Are you talking about a tabloid influence, a political influence? Look,
0: look, look, just make this point. Whenever you have diverse groups in print, radio and television, you have safety. You have... A, a smorgasbord of views and outlets. But see, oh, so, once so you... you shove that into half of that, half of this into one company, mm. you know, and and of course, you know, the, the the Libs have always moved towards single big companies because they think the big companies see their way of the world.
1: Tony, just before you comment, a couple more quotes from from the great man. Um, <laughs> in his written statement, he said, "Channel Nine had quote." Never other than displayed the opportunism and ethics
2: of an alley cat.
3: I actually thought he was talking about Commissar Shorten (laughs) at that instance. I had to read it carefully.
2: (laughs) Through various changes of ownership, no one has lanced the carbuncle at the centre of Nine's approach to news management. (laughs) Just the the concept,
1: Tony, of, of a reduction in the diversity of ownership in our media. Are you concerned at all about that?
3: Yeah, I, I probably, in principle, don't like it either. But but the bigger driver for me is that if Commissar Keating hates it, then I, I have to endorse it. <laughs> uh, he waxes lyrical about quality journalism, but I don't think it really exists in Fairfax, in my opinion. He's just disappointed that the left-wing bias, which is alive and well at Fairfax, is probably going to be snuffed out progressively. But, like, I mean... A lot of commentary on this is that this was a deal that had to happen to try and preserve both of them. My personal view is that Fairfax, year on year on year, has been going backwards and would have basically disappeared at some stage anyway. Um, So this may keep them both alive a little longer. Nine says they will respect Journalistic integrity. You don't believe that, do you? Well, I don't think there is any journalistic <laughs> integrity anyway, and certainly not at Fairfax. So, I don't have a, I don't have a problem with Nine talking about that because I just think it's it's a ruse at both ends. Um, they've been data sharing, as far as I can gather, Nine and Fairfax since last year. The Sydney Morning Herald well, what reported you reckon, about that.
2: You reckon Nine is, is is sort of leftish in their views?
3: Look, I, I just you're talking. His his problem is journalistic in, integrity, and I just don't think there is any there anyway. Like, I mean, the, the, the Facebook, the global social media, and the 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 news that's coming from so many different, diverse areas. The fake news, the real news, the almost real news, or whatever. They they're going to set the agendas. I don't see any young people reading. Any newspapers, certainly not uh, the printed newspapers. Mm. And all of my sons don't read newspapers. Maybe one might, Mm. uh, who's a little political, but the others don't. My children don't read the printed newspapers. Correct. So this is all, like, it's dinosaur stuff. Fairfax was going to disappear at some stage. The rivers of gold that they used to talk about are gone. And Fairfax would have disappeared probably in the next few years. This at least gives um, these journalists with integrity um, the ability to struggle on for a few more years before the inevitable happens to them. Uh, I just don't see it as being a big deal. I don't think what he fears is a real problem because young people aren't even plugged into any of this.
1: If, if um, Fairfax was thriving and viable, I think we would agree that yeah. they should not be sold to another media correct. player. Correct, correct. But if it is the case that it's just disappearing down the girdler, yeah. then what yeah. does it matter? It depends yeah. on the power that they have. Like We have to be very careful that power isn't concentrated. But if there is no power, if it's disappeared, then... It yeah, doesn't... but there
3: are so many disruptive forces mm. at play mm. and I just feel that more and more people are getting their news from alternate sources. They're not looking. Mm. You and I might read The Australian or a Fairfax paper or or something like that because we're looking for a quality essay. Most young people have the attention span of a gnat or a goldfish and they're not going to read an essay. It it could run for half a page or two columns. Mm. They're not going to look at it. They're just not interested. So I think Keating is frothing about something that's, the bus has left yeah, the station. Yeah, I think he is living mm. in the past in yeah. terms of him. Well, he's a valuable. socialist, that's what you have to expect. <laughs> yeah, he probably celebrates May Day.
1: Just, just on this, this is kind of like an antitrust sort of style of provision mm. that we're looking at. Mm. And I've got a link to an article, dear listener, where Donald Trump might be right about something inadvertently. But um, Google has been fined by the European Union... billion as an antitrust fine. And basically, the allegation is, uh, at the heart of the decision, it involves Google's insistence that mobile phone manufacturers that use its Android operating system and want to pre-install the Google Play app must also install a suite of Google apps, including the search engine, the Chrome browser, mapping calendar and photo programs. So the commission called this a classic tying arrangement in which a company extends the market dominance it enjoys in one area to other areas. And um, so in terms of antitrust law, governments and regulators try to avoid that because we don't want power concentrated into the hands of too few. And this is a little bit reminiscent of a Microsoft case where... The government accused Microsoft of trying to tie the Internet Explorer browser into the Windows operating system. So if you bought Windows, you had to get Explorer. And it was using the dominance of the Windows um, business to build up the Explorer business. That case never actually got resolved because by the time it got to the final court, the, the whole sort of technology world had changed, there were heaps of other browsers, and there wasn't the same market power, which is probably what's happening with this Fairfax thing, in that the power is disappearing, so it's becoming a bit of a moot point, it doesn't matter so much. So, um, so yeah, so Google is facing a $5.1 billion fine, and uh, Trump said, this is outrageous, um, it's an outrageous attack on on one of their great companies, and they've taken advantage of the US, but not for long, is Trump's word. So, um, Tony,
3: yeah, else? I I um, I'm happy that the EU has fined Google, uh, because Google probably pays no taxes anywhere, and like Apple and the rest of them, they contrive to avoid any obligations to the communities that they operate in. I've got no doubt that they seek to manipulate outcomes uh, for their own profitability and God knows megalomania or whatever with the people that are at the top of these piles. From what I looked at, Google was fined $2.7 by the EU in 2017 for manipulating search results, and we had another 5.1 on for this antitrust breach. Google's not alone. Intel and Microsoft in the past have also been fined by the EU. I saw a table a day or so ago which sort of uh, indicated some figures for all of them. This is sort of lining up with what I was saying to you in terms of Keating's Lament about Nine and Fairfax, this is where the real power is in the future. It's, it's with these the social media and the controllers of social media. They're going to be the shapers of thought and they will probably seek to control our thoughts and direct us into the future. They're more dangerous than tax cuts, to private enterprise in terms of how mankind goes forward. Uh, if you watched that fellow, um, well, the fellow from Facebook, be interviewed by that mm, Senate committee, Zuckerberg, whatever. Zuckerberg, like he was truly frightening. <laughs> he didn't answer any <laughs> he questions. He looked like a sociopath uh, under review there. And it, it was really scary stuff. Mm. Like he kept ducking, weaving, I'll get back to you. Mm. But it was, it was as clear as it could be that they were up for everything that was being laid at their feet. And I just fear that we are in for a very interesting future Mm -hmm. and you know it yourself. You get into your car or you, you turn on your phone and the phone tells you how far you are away from home, what the traffic's like. all manner of things and Mm. if you happen to for once in your life um, google a recipe then you're besieged with recipes (laughs) of that ilk for the rest of your life until you try and sort of cut ties with whoever it is that's following you around it's it's really very disturbing stuff
2: Mm, big brother is disturbing yeah, Tony.
3: yeah, yeah. Well, it's I, 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 it's it's there, and all the more reason for us to have a vibrant hmm. business community at I, a smaller level. On this
1: particular occasion, I don't think they really are guilty of 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 a real problem here, because just because they preloaded some apps onto a phone, people can just load alternative apps so easily, and they do, and they don't. They don't use the existing ones if it's not their favourite, so I don't know that it's such a big deal. yes and no.
3: Like, I mean, it depends on your computer literacy and Mm. your skills base as to whether you can load anything or unload anything. And a lot of people who are using devices from Google and Facebook and all the rest that are loaded up to the gunwales with all of these things that want to direct traffic to you... Mm. It depends on your your abilities with a computer as to whether or not you you can do any of the things that that you suggest. I know, from my own personal experience, I don't have that degree of computer literacy or, or technical skills to be able to de- delete many things or download things or go yeah. for
1: alternatives. Yeah, but you're the dinosaur reading the, Correct. That reading the newspapers. Correct. So yeah, in terms of true. the future, yeah. the young people, this is not yeah, an Yeah, but I wonder whether young people
3: in fact do do that, yeah. whether they can be bothered.
1: Google's photo app, for example, has mm. struggled to compete against Instagram and Snap, even though it comes pre-installed. On Android-based phones, as part of the Google. Oh well, suite, there you go. Then,
3: then it could very well be the case that young people are are voting with their digits. Tony, we are. We're just agreeing with each other too much. Yeah, it, it's a danger. Sad,
1: actually. Mm. Um, before we do the next story, could you just
2: briefly tell the dear listener about your experience in hospital and <laughs> and the and your
3: allergy, and the allergy question? Oh, it was. It's a very ugly thing, and I really. <laughs> <laughs> don't want to go there because I think I could leave the dear listener in no. in
2: no we don't we don't know the gory details but 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 I believe that prior to the operation they were asking you whether you were allergic to anything
3: Yes, that's true they did yes and I said I don't believe so but I think if you brought commissar Bill shorten in I may have an allergic reaction to that and as you would expect a mixed response. <laughs> I got high fives from some people that I thought were educated and it just sort of passed as a cloud over those that I thought were less skilled. Surely
2: you were in one of the more exclusive private hospitals in Brisbane. Well, it's one
3: patronised by Commissar Rudd and the rest of them. Yeah, because all their children go to private schools if you could be bothered to look and they certainly don't take themselves when they're feeling unwell to a public hospital.
2: Tony, you've travelled? You've experienced the delights of many um, accommodation houses. I've got an interesting article here from The Guardian, OS, no Tony. Ooh. Um,
1: titled, Even monks get impatient. Buddhist Priest sorry for anger at tourist reviews. A Buddhist priest has taken a swipe at tourists who fail to do their homework before visiting Japanese temples. The... Sikosin Shibuko Guest guest House offers tourists the chance to stay in an ancient Buddhist temple in Mount Koya, a World Heritage listed site south of Osaka. But some customers got more than they bargained for when they left critical comments on booking.com. After a visitor complained about the basic and vegetarian meals and the lack of explanation of the temple's traditions,
2: the official property response pointed out that it was a place of training and Westerners would not get special treatment, adding, if you're that interested in a monk's life, then you should shave your head and be one. <laughs> in another exchange, a customer said there was no heating outside the bedroom and the strange meals were quite like any food
1: I've ever tasted, prompting the reply, yeah, it's Japanese monastic
3: cuisine, you uneducated fuck. <laughs> yeah, clearly an articulate <laughs> Buddhist. Um <laughs> There's a lot of things here. Like I have no idea what the marketing material that the shrine put out uh, to induce people to go there said, but it could very well be that he was right on the money. That nothing much was promised to them other than than an experience of monastic life, and one would expect that monastic life wouldn't be à la carte meals. That's sort of contrary to probably what it's about, but. When I was reading it, I was thinking to myself, this could be a hell of a lot worse if you turned up in an Islamic country and weighed in with criticism about the conditions, the belief system, the food, etc. Then the likelihood is you'd be in a world of pain. Yeah, you could be in a world of pain. It, it could lead to incarceration with or without legal counsel or, or even death or, or mut- mutilation, a, a, loss of limbs. A, a, plain,
2: a plain vegetarian meal would be the
3: least Correct. of your problems. Correct. I think it's the least of your worries. And I think um, that they at least have a better understanding of the Buddhist way of life now having met with him. And certainly if they were in Lakemba, well, they would have been... A senior police officer would have approached them and told them that they were probably likely to induce a breach of the peace and they have to move on.
1: Tony, um, prayers in Parliament. Um, are you aware that in the Senate there are prayers every day before, before Parliament takes place, which... Um, seeks guidance from Almighty God and is then followed by the Lord's Prayer?
3: I've heard that's the case, but I haven't been there. Mm. But obviously you've got a problem with
1: it. One of the Greens senators put forward a motion that this should be replaced with a statement saying that senators are encouraged to pray or reflect upon their responsibilities, etc., etc. Sort of mildly spiritual, but... Yeah. No reference to a particular god, And there is a, uh, a petition, dear listener, which the National Secular Lobby... Uh, actually, no, you can send in a submission to the Parliament and the National Secular Lobby has got some arguments that you could use in terms of preparing a submission. There will be a link on the show notes and it expires. The time limit for that, I think, is the 3rd of August. So hop to it and put in your submission, hopefully arguing for the prayers to be abolished and replaced with, uh, something a bit more generalised.
3: Look, I'm fine with that. I'd prefer, personally, that, that we said something inflammatory so we couldn't have Muslim sen- senators there. So if there <laughs> was something we could get into the wording that upset them, and that shouldn't be too hard because most things upset them. Right. Well, the Lord's prayer probably would. I think, I no, know. I'm not sure. Yeah. Like, I, I have no idea, but I'm sure we it, a, a good wordsmith could come up with a, a choice of words that made sure we had none of them in the Senate. Okay, we'll probably just disagreed on that one. But that's a first for
1: a while. Now, Tony, I only just referred to to this article um, about a woman in Tasmania who was working for Cricket Australia. She's been sacked after she campaigned for abortion reform on her own personal social media account. So what we've got is a, um, a lady here. Let's see if I've got Angela Williamson, 39. She works as a manager of public policy and government relations at Cricket Australia. And she, um, it seems, needed an abortion, wasn't able to get one in Tasmania, had to travel to the mainland, and uh, was not happy about that and about the current laws in Tasmania. And she sent out some tweets on her own personal Twitter page and I'll try and find the quote here. Um, let me just see. She referred to the Tasmanian Parliament as, uh, in relation to this issue, as being most irresponsible, gutless, and reckless. And um, oh, actually, and one more part where she said on the twenty-eighth of May, used the following words. Um, So you share your story, hoping it convinces the government to act urgently. Five months later, nothing. No meeting with the Premier, no results. And, um, yeah, but Cricket Australia mostly wasn't happy with her statement that declared that the Parliament was most irresponsible, gutless and reckless. Um, So what happened was Cricket Australia sacked her for expressing those... Views on her private Twitter account, and people are up in arms, and comparisons are being made to Israel Folau in this whole debate. Tony, what what's the thoughts of right wing Tony?
3: Well, I I think it's reprehensible that she was sacked. I um, I just can't think that that's an appropriate response from an employer. She had a particular job which obviously put her at the pointy end of relationships with government. Um, The article said that abortion is legal in Tasmania, but the reason she couldn't procure one was that the the only clinic that offered that had shut down. And the article didn't say why. Um, Clearly, there are medical practitioners in Tasmania, but for their own reasons in accordance with their own belief systems or whatever, they weren't prepared to offer these services or or man that facility that was closed. But in principle, as a private citizen, not using the letterhead of Cricket Australia and and things of that nature, she's entitled to her opinion and to voice her opinion and, and be unhappy with the state of affairs. But equally, that doesn't translate to... Medical practitioners being forced to perform surgical procedures that they're not comfortable with performing, so it's a it's a really vexed area. My my view is she should not have been sacked. Um, I think that that was an improper and probably unlawful response. Uh, she may ref- well reflect on the fact that she was she had a particular role with Cricket Australia in terms of intergovernmental relationships and as a consequence she might have been more circumspect but at the same time she's entitled to a point of view. Folau uh, managed to get away with it but Falau got away with what he had to say because he's Falau and a very talented, highly sought after athlete. Uh, The NRL were frothing with uh, the possibility that if he was sacked by Rugby Australia, that they would offer him a contract immediately. So clearly there was a very different mindset in terms of what was going on with him. And I think it's wrong. Um, Everyone should sort of be treated the same way. He should have been entitled to say what he wanted to say about his faith, a strongly held belief system, Other people mightn't agree with his belief system, but he's entitled to it, as is she.
1: Yes, just dealing with Falau first of all. So he can say whatever he likes. People are also welcome to criticise him for that. Mm. He's got a contract which should not have been touched in any way and and wasn't, that he could see through to its end. But by the same token, at the conclusion of that contract, the ARU or anybody else could say to Falau. Part of the value you bring is as a role model,
2: mm-hmm. and
1: extra benefits off the field. And because of your statements, you've just devalued your brand, and we're going to pay you less. So well, they may that, say, and, and that. that would
3: be they'd be quite entitled to do that. Correct, but yeah. it could very well be that there would be a body of people that agree with his point of view yes. and don't see the brand being devalued, but actually seeing him having the courage as an individual to. Brush away the political correct thought police that exist where they'd want us all to be the same and they all would like us basically to be on government benefits at the end of the day because we're, <laughs> how, did we're, we're, we're sheep. Dis- how did you get that into a full how did you get that into a full discussion? Comrade Lamb, <laughs> the sheep are easily Take taken into a paddock. Yeah, well that's my view, but I, you've slipped in yes. <laughs> communist theory
2: into a hour <laughs> discussion. Yeah. So that's hour
3: It's and, freedom of speech. Yeah. <laughs> They don't want but, freedom of speech, okay. Trevor. Just I'm ex- just reading a book called Gulag, yeah. and it is absolutely frightening yeah. What when socialism gets a good head of steam under it, yes. what they're capable of on yeah. a good day. I can give you plenty of other books and
2: you'll be frightened <laughs> what capitalism can do to you as well. Yeah. Tony, you know, yeah. can, to might get a with. job. So you yeah. might be responsible for yourself. Yeah. Hey, um, but just getting back to this
1: lady, let me, so as a general principle people should be able to say whatever they like in their private life without being sacked by their
2: employer.
3: Provided it doesn't incite violence or something like that, or in
2: Lakemba, a breach of the peace. So if, for example, her job
1: was uh, that she was in charge of race relations and uh, in her Twitter profile revealed that she was a member of the Klan and espoused... Horrible, racist viewpoints. Now, she didn't. This is all just supposition. But so an, an employer has employed her uh, in terms of race relations and on a private social media profile displays clearly racist views. In that situation, does an employer just have to suck it up?
3: Well, I think it's it's always with everything in life. It's a question of, of degree. Um, like... You and I have agreed in the past that if if people's pronouncements led others to violent behaviour, yeah, we're not inciting
1: violence. She, be... just, she just says ugly stuff. She's not inciting violence, but she's clearly, you know, I want to be Klansman, for example. This is a, just a a, yeah, well, a fictional person. I don't want to be accused of saying this is Angela Williamson. It's not. It's a, yeah. a fictional person that I'm well, just making up. But if they're employed as a, a race relations officer and well, clearly, clearly in their private got profile, the wrong job. So, so in that situation, yeah. can an employer say, uh, on your bike?
3: Well, they may well say that because it is it is so at odds with the job that they have. Yes. In this instance, what she was saying really had nothing to do with the job that uh, she had.
1: Okay, but mm. if her job is um, public policy and government relations...
2: Yeah.
1: So developing government relations for her organisation and she is publicly abused, I'm just playing a little bit of devil's advocate here, and abusing the government and um, stirring up trouble in the government, is it possible for an employer to say, well, you're here to be our government PR person, yet privately you are... um, Instead of building bridges, you're, you're, you're burning bridges. And your effectiveness as a as an advocate for us in PR with the government is now
3: um, in ruins. Look, I, I can see what you're saying, but if we accept that abortion is lawful in the state of Tasmania, which the article says it is, and I've got no doubt that it is, then she wasn't saying anything that was overly controversial at the end of the day. She was saying abortion is lawful and the circumstances in this state are such that people can't exercise a lawful right. So I would have thought that it could equally be argued to improve government relations for the citizens of Tasmania, pointing out that there is an inadequacy that we have a set of laws that can't be relied upon or exercised or enjoyed yeah but she, she's she's
1: actually accused the government who she is supposed to be the government relations officer mm. for of irresponsible gutless and regular and reckless delivery
3: look so, the language is inflammatory but yeah. occasionally you have to speak plainly to get people's attention like mm. i um it's a very vexed area, uh, this whole thing. Like I've often said to you that I find it passing strange that we can have state-sanctioned killing of unborn children and we can have progressively, it seems in this country, state-sanctioned killing of elderly people, but we shrink and run from killing Serial pedophiles and serial rapists and serial murderers. But for some reason, their lives are sacrosanct. Now, I'm not saying I'm anti-abortion. I'm just saying this is strange that there are some deaths that the state is quite happy to Mm. see occur. And there are other deaths of absolutely reprehensible people, people Mm. who will never be better. Mm. They are recidivists a lot of them, and they will get out and do it again as long as they're capable of self-propulsion.
2: Yeah.
3: Pedophiles will find their way to a children's playground or a school and commit the same crime. Yeah.
1: Let, let, let's, um, I just, I'm trying to explore the boundaries here and define where they might be. Let's say, for example, you had somebody who was um, the sponsor liaison officer for a sporting team, for example. So
0: mm-hmm. their job
1: was to keep the sponsors happy. Yeah, and to get more sponsors on board and to keep them on side, and that person, uh, say one of the sponsors was Qantas, but mm. in their private social media stuff, said Qantas is the worst airline in the world. They, you know, they do all this sort of stuff and like completely bagged them and, and bagged other sponsors, for example. Could the football team say uh, because of your social media work, you've 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 really ruined your capacity to perform your job as our sponsorship manager. They
3: could they could say that because you may render yourself totally unable to perform the job yes. because no one will engage with you yeah. and they greet you with hostility. Yeah. But it's one of those difficult areas where you're trying to balance freedom of speech, which is a fundamental right. Mm. I've, got,
1: I've, got an, I've got a... An issue to decide this here. So Mm. I think in this case, because her criticism was of the government, Mm. we've got to hold that as sacred, that really anybody, anytime, needs to be able to criticise the government. Mm. And and that has a special place in terms of freedom of speech. Yeah, as I said to you,
3: it's it's lawful.
1: As opposed to the other example I gave, which was criticising a company or another business or something like that, I'd be less inclined to give protection. So in this case, I'm I'm, I'm on her side because mm. it is government criticism, and we've just got to protect our ability to criticise the government. But had she been in the sponsorship example, I yes. reckon this, the, the business should be able to say, yes. "We can't have you on board as our as our liaison officer. You're yeah. out of here." Yeah, but common sense. So, you, so your detail. private so your private mm. musings can mm. affect your your job
3: i'd agree with that but again i think it'd go back probably to the contract you signed with your employer Mm. one would expect that uh, there'd be an express term there Mm. that you're not to wage war with the sponsors
1: yeah you're a law firm did it have a clause saying no socialist
2: pro-socialist or
1: no 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 no, we had some socialists
3: there actually yes extraordinary yeah, yeah, we were flabbergasted by it. it <laughs> they people, got through the they got people, through the vetting system. Well, just the people with tertiary, <laughs> to tell you the truth.
2: <laughs> oh, Tony, one last
1: one last article. Uh, a lady in Sweden was on a plane, and um, well, you, you're, Imagine you're sitting in a plane, and you've been waiting at the airport for two or three hours, you've got three customs, you're finally on board, you're facing another, you know, 12-hour flight ahead of you. And a lady gets up in the plane and says, I'm refusing to sit down, the authorities are deporting an uh, Afghan man, a refugee, and he'll be killed if he's taken back to Afghanistan. So I refuse to sit down, I don't want the plane to leave And uh, until this refugee is removed from the plane so that he is safe. And I've got a little... This has actually happened, dear listener, and she was actually an activist, so she knew this guy was going to be on the plane. She purposefully bought a ticket to be on that plane and she agreed that she would be removed from the plane as well as him because she didn't want to go anyway. She was just there to to stop it all happening. So she um, recorded herself as it was happening, and I'll play a little bit of the clip for you.
4: I'm right now at an airport, at an airplane, and there's a person... Please, ...to Afghanistan, please don't sir. take my phone, don't touch my phone. And the people here working are trying to take my phone away from me, just because a person go is going Shut to down. get deported to Shut Afghanistan, down. where there's war and he's Shut. going to get killed. And I'm not going to sit down until this person is off the plane. I don't care what
0: you think. I'm just
4: asking what is more important, your life or the time?
0: What about all these children on here? You you are frightening. Take your phone off. Don't take my phone off. Thank you. They're taking his bags out, so I'm just waiting for the flight attendant to make me say that it's
4: okay for me to go out the back of the
1: plane to go out. Hello.
3: Thoughts, Tony? (laughs) Well, she's lucky it didn't happen in Lakemba because I'm certain the superintendent would have arrived and suggested she was likely to induce a breach of the peace (laughs) and she would have been offloaded. Indeed. Like, this is political correct madness. To me, it was akin to hijacking an aircraft, like interfering with the operation of an aircraft. I would have thought that was some sort of federal offence if someone else here sought to do that um, and they weren't politically correct like her, then they would have been taken off in cuffs. I hope that the other passengers sue her for breaching the condition that when you board an airline, you agree to observe airline protocols and you will stay in your seat and that's for the benefit of all passengers and you won't create an unsafe environment. So I'm really going to follow this if I can and I hope someone sues her and really teaches her the lesson she needs it's not all about her life's not all about her and her afghan friend and god knows whether he would have been killed when he went back there and he could have been being sent back for very good reason dutton's kicking out a whole heap of people at present who are career criminals and ought to be sent packing and when I listened to those people clapping, she was musing that it was that they supported her. I actually think it was that she was getting on. <laughs> like, finally, she's gone.
2: Exactly. Yes. See,
1: it sounds very altruistic, but it's actually incredibly selfish to say, I'm determining whether somebody should be allowed mm. to leave the country well, or not. people could have
3: had connecting flights. Their whole life could have been disrupted by this clown.
1: And But she has... You know, she said, look, I don't care what the government has said about deporting this person. I'm mm. deciding this person correct. should not be deported. Yeah. I'm thumbing my nose at the system Yeah. and I'm just yeah. enforcing my well, way or, the, or, or not.
3: Correct. So it's it's the same selfish. as Islamic exceptionalism, that yeah. I'll come and live in your community, but I'm not going to observe your rules, your yes. laws. Yes. I'm going to do what I want to do. Yeah, I'm refusing to play Correct, the, play to the participate.
1: Law. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, people can protest... You know, protest, Mm. but you don't get in the way of a police officer arresting somebody. No. And you don't get in the way of the justice system actually performing its function. No. so I don't know what airline it
3: was, but perhaps in some, had she been carrying on like this on a Chinese airline, or Aeroflot, she might have ended up with something bad happening to her.
1: Yes. So, um, well, that's an interesting one. Hmm. Tony, any other
2: issues in the world that you'd like to talk about
1: oh, there are heaps,
3: on? Trevor? But no, no. <laughs>
1: you know, I think we've come to surprising agreement about another. We of have, issues. yeah, which I've, is refreshing. I've got some homework to do, so I can just sort of give you more facts and figures about. Yeah, that'd be the good. Tr- the trickle down effect. Well, well and as I said to you, really you can works. find
3: facts and figures that'll tell you anything,
2: Trevor, on a good well, day. Yeah, provided I've got them and you don't. That'll be that'll be fine. <laughs> yes. <laughs> right wing, Tony. Thank you for for steering this left-wing
1: podcast back Back onto an even keel.
3: Trying to to drag it kicking and screaming (laughs) to the (laughs) centre.
1: All right, Tony. Thank you very much, and it won't be so long until the next one. Thanks, Trip. Well, dear listener, did you enjoy that episode of the podcast? If you did, I've got a favour to ask. Uh, First up, tell some friends